congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our life is really a very serious battle. If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I truly hope we all do, we have received a new nature. And that's wonderful. For this new nature changes the way we look at things like right and wrong. And it has kindled in our hearts the desire to do what's right. In the meantime, as long as we live, we, this new nature continues to receive opposition from our old nature, which is dying, but far from that yet. And so there is that, that battle. Our life is a battle also because we as God's children live in a world that hates God and therefore hates all, all those who belong to God. It hates us because it realizes that we actually do not belong to it. We are in the world, but not of this world. We are, according to Hebrews 11, strangers and pilgrims in the world, seeking a better and a heavenly country. And the world knows this and feels this. They are offended by it. And they are offended by the way we live. Because it convicts them. We live as Christians, our whole lifestyle convicts them of their sin. And they hate that. And they will hate you. Our Lord Jesus, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, was well aware of the fact that his that the children of his father have a battle on their hands all of their lives. And that is why the Lord taught us to pray this petition and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this afternoon we will take a closer look at this petition under the team that God's children cry to their father from the midst of their battle. And then we see that the cry is, first of all, a cry for help against their enemies, but that then secondly, at the same time, it is also a cry of glorious, of a certain and a glorious victory. So first on, we look at that it is that God's children cry from the Father in the midst of the battle for help against their enemies. And brothers and sisters, in the Lord, we really have some strong and very dangerous enemies. And although that is true, according to Orkanagism, that's not our first problem. Our first problem is our own weakness. That's how the Catechism begins in the answer. It's our weakness. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And it's a very humbling thought, is it not? But we need to really always keep that in mind. By ourselves, we are so weak, you cannot stand for a moment. And then you look at this world in which you sit, in which you live. Very humbling. But it's so true. Too weak we are, especially when we consider ourselves not so weak. If we consider ourselves strong. Look at the Apostle Peter. He thought that he was strong. 
And he said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both in prison and death. So strong he felt. But he was defeated three times already before the rooster crowed. And the Apostle Paul did not say, when I am strong, then I am mighty. But he says, when I am weak, then I am mighty. So by ourselves, because of our weakness, we are no match for our enemies. And the Lord Jesus knew that. And therefore he taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Not even for one moment does he wants us to face our enemies on our own. That's why he taught us that petition. And when he taught us, he did not teach us to pray and deliver us from evil. As he sometimes hear it said and as it sometimes is translated. translated. No, he taught us to, to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Meaning, of course, Satan, the devil. So... The Lord Jesus speaks of the evil one. But that, then the catechism comes up with three sworn enemies. Satan, the world, and our own flesh. Our own flesh meaning our old nature. And it is of course not so that the catechism here just lists some enemies which somehow the Lord Jesus must have forgotten when he taught us this prayer. Now our catechism actually shows us what and who Satan uses to attack the Lord's people. The Catechism just gives us a peek behind the scenes, so to speak. And it shows us who hides behind that scene of the world in which we have to live and who is behind our own flesh with, with which we have to live. So, yes, our battle is against three enemies, but behind the last two lurks Satan. Satan writes the script, so to speak. So let's take a closer look at each one of our enemies and let us begin with Satan because he's the oldest and he's also the strongest of our enemies. He was our enemy already since the time that God decided to create us in his own image. That's exactly for that reason that Satan is our most vicious and the most relentless enemy he will not rest before he has as many image bearers of God as he possibly can get with him in hell. There is no human being ever that can appease Satan because he hates the very image in which any human being is born, is, is, is made. Now what we need to know about Satan is that he is not like God everywhere present all the time. Satan is just as we are a creature and he is limited. But before we now somewhat relax about him, his being a creature does not mean that Satan is not our mightiest and our most powerful enemies. No, he is one of the mightiest enemies God ever created. And Satan also has many helpers these are the angels that fell with him. And they were with Satan, thrown out of heaven. The evil spirit, spirits or, or demons, the Bible calls them. They go out and do his bidding. 
all over the world. En zo, dan is het no wonder dat de apostel Paul warns us for that in Ephesians 6, verse 12, we just read it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Satan's weapons, they are violence and deception. The Lord Jesus calls him in John 8, verse 44, the murderer from the beginning and the father of the lie. That's what we need to know about him. That's what he uses. We only have to read our Bibles and take a good look at our own church history to see how true that is. If Satan cannot destroy the church by violence with persecution, as he tried, for example, with the stoning of Stephen, killing the Apostle James. Then he will try it with the seed, as we see that he, corrupt, that he tries to corrupt the church from the inside, as we see it with the lying of Ananias and Sapphira and by sending false teachers into the new churches. It's a good question to ask what did more damage, the violence, the persecutions of the church by the Romans and the Jews, or the deceit? The false teachers who came to teach the new Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be a good and a true Christian. And Satan works, still works the same in our time. There are countries like North Korea where Satan has released a terrible persecution against the church just as in, some, as, as in many Muslim countries and, and China. And then, there are also countries like ours, where he uses deceit. In countries like ours, he uses church leaders who cast doubt upon the truth and the infallibility of the scriptures. He uses them to cast doubt upon the power of God to create the world in, in six real days. He uses those church leaders to cast suspicion upon the deity of Christ and to teach people that Bible translations, they don't need to be so faithful. They don't need to be so literal. You can take your freedoms with it. It's just a book like any other. He uses... Also members of the church. He's not just leaders. He also uses the members of the church. And he uses those who are always critical upon fellow members. And, 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 and harp against the young people. Find them in almost every church. He uses also members who want to change the church. And he uses members who are afraid of any change. And he loves it and both dig in their heels Instead of having an honest and an open-minded, kind discussion. He uses members who seem to think that they only need to forgive their neighbors, their fellow members in church, if all the conditions are met. Satan, you never see him, but he's always active. And, and here in our country, he doesn't appear as a scary monster. You know, like you sometimes see portrayed with an arrow pointed tail and split hooves and little horns. 
No, he appears as an angel of light, as a friend. Hard to believe, but sometimes he even comes to us through our loved ones, through our friends, through fellow believers. That's why the Lord Jesus had to say to Peter, go behind me, Satan. Satan is mean. He lures the Lord's people into sin, and then he turns around and accuses them before the Lord. And that's why he is called in Revelation 12, as the accuser of the brethren. He's mean and he's also smart. He always finds the weak spots of people. He whispers the accusers for our favorite sins into our ears. And he finds more important things for us to do than going to a Bible study on a weekday evening. He does all these things because he hates you. Why? Because like I already said, in his eyes, you look too much like God. You are God's image bearer. And so he cannot befriend him, never. Especially, and, and so many young people in our time think that they can by, by kind of worshipping him and when they disfigure their bodies with piercing and tattoos. And Evel just smiles and lose them even further upon the pathway to hell. Satan is a true enemy. And he made and he's our main enemy. But he's not the only one. There is also the world and our own flesh. And then when we speak of the world, then we do not mean the world as God, God's creation. Of which you read in John 3.16 that God so loved it that he gave his only begotten son. That world is not our enemy. No, it is the evil world. It is the, the world of humanity without God. Of which Satan is the ruler. That world is, an <coughs> Excuse me, is our enemy. And the grip that Satan has upon this world is very accurately described by the Apostle John when he writes in 1 John 5 verse 19. That the whole world lies under control of the evil one. That's that world. Of humanity without God. Lies under control of the evil one. You know what a safe place church can be? Just think about that. You see, just as Christ lives in us, the believers, and in his church, and we live in him, so Satan lives in the world, and the world lives in him. In, its, in the same way you could say that the world as our enemy is the physical manifestation, the visible part of the realm of Satan. Now, the Apostle John also wrote in that same letter, in chapter 4, verse 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, have overcome Satan in the world. Why? Because John continues, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. See now, that's why the world is our enemy and why it hates us. God's children so much. When you faithfully live out your Christianity, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you try to live according to what he taught you, 
then the world sees in you the one that's greater than itself. And you see in you the one that's greater than Satan. And then it has to hate you because it perceives you as a danger and as a threat against itself. Yes, it is true. In our country, the world still has kind of a friendly face. Makes it look very attractive. And our world, our society suits us. It invites us to relax. And for years we did. To say, don't worry. We don't hate you. We tolerate you for just fine. We're an open society. Room for everybody. And so it happened. But in our time and in our country and society, faithful churches have lost more members and more young people than in any other time. Whole church denominations have become completely neutralized. And all this in a time span shorter than in any time of falling away in the church history. form of Christianity has emerged that's completely corrupt. But at the same time, it is immensely popular. It convinces thousands of people that God is pleased with whatever thing you do in church. As long as you call it worship, it has convinced many that God loves them and, and has a great plan of their lives without ever mentioning the word sin or, repent, or repentance. Just give your life to Christ and everything will get honky-dory. Christian religion has for many just been helped to get through this life. Who worries about the rest? The power of Satan in the world. Proven to be dreadfully strong. Same deceptive power drives and have driven many young people to believe that it's just perfectly fine to marry with unbelievers or with people from different faiths. All the talk about being unequally yoked is just, in the end, intolerant, discriminating, politically into incorrect. It's just hate speech. Also in the same churches, women are sovereign of their own womb. Wives must pursue a career. Raising children must be sourced out. The value of marriage as an institution of God has been diminished. And just living together has become more and more accepted. The allowance of a homosexual lifestyle is conceived as a welcome liberation of a since long-suffering and abused minority. And of course, everybody should have a chance to be an office bearer in the church. And so they had the voice of the world within the churches. And it's true, you know the member of, this, of a church like that. But you're meeting its members every day. And you don't like a fight, right? It's dangerous. Dangerous enemy does not that. The voice of the, of the world within the churches and therefore part not of the church but of our sworn enemies. 
Yes, this world will love you. It makes you popular even as long as you run with it down the broad road. Our enemy, the world, that is always working to neutralize, to compromise those who are members of the church. And I wish I had much more time to warn you for all his dangers, but you have one more enemy to consider, and that is, our catechism calls it our own flesh. And the Apostle Paul calls it our old nature. And that is by far, brothers and sisters, the most treacherous of the three. That is the enemy who opens the gate from the inside for the rest of the enemies to come in. And now does it do that well? Our own flesh, our old nature at times becomes a little bit envious upon the world. It's prosperity, it's fun, and then it tries to convince us that it is, it cannot be all bad. You can enjoy some of it, it says. And you don't have to go along with it all the way. But the problem is that nibbling from the world's, del- from the world's delicacies is as, is, is, is as addictive as any drug. It's hard to stop and you always want more. And you know from your own life experience. So we try to fight the battle, but our guard is down. Sometimes our own flesh has an overdose of pride. And then we feel more and much better than a struggling or a stumbling fellow Christian. And then we're so close to a big fall. Another time our old nature attacks us with a time of egoism and selfishness. And then we don't love our neighbor as we love ourselves any longer. And then we offend our fellow Christians with the freedoms we believe we have. Our old nature, for example, convinces some of us that going to worship the Lord on Sunday doesn't take any preparation. And so on Saturday night, they go out with friends until after midnight, and the next morning they are too tired to concentrate and really listen to the preaching of the gospel, which is life unto them. And the gospel doesn't touch them. Another watches a very exciting movie on Saturday night. And the next morning during the worship service, he cannot concentrate upon the sermon because of the backflashes of the movie that they watched. And there are, of course, much more examples where you trust you get the point. of The power of that old nature. We just need to be, need to be aware that our old nature, within our old nature, we have a traitor in our own hearts and in our own life who constantly betrays us to the enemies, Satan and the world. Those are the three enemies. And we are by ourselves so weak to hold our own even for a moment. And they will never cease to attack us, so it is obvious that we need help. And the awesome message is that there is help. That is why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray this petition. You see, brothers and sisters, the catechism does not want to scare you and make you feel hopeless. For us, God's children, there is help. Brothers and sisters, young people, if anywhere, then it is here that we, the children of God, really need to act like children and pray, Our Father who is in heaven, deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from our sworn enemies. And in this way, turn to your heavenly Father and grab his hand. Father, help me. 
Father, protect me. Father, uphold me. Father, make me strong. Father, work in me with your Holy Spirit. And our Father who loves us and who is the source of all good, would he not help? Yes, we are asking for a lot. We are asking for the Holy Spirit and his power. We are asking for divine strength. But our Lord Jesus Christ taught us that our Heavenly Father will most certainly give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him for it. See, brothers and sisters, that is why we don't need to despair before our enemies. We may go to our Father in heaven and with this petition and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We may put our hand in his almighty hand. Our Father, who is in heaven, we are by ourselves so weak, too weak to hold our own even for a moment, but by you is strength, Father. You are the fountain of all good and the source of all strength. So uphold us then and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit. And now, Father, he will uphold. And he will give us his spirit. And he will help us in our weakness. That's why we never should think that we are strong. Because then we walk away from our Father and will let go of his hand. He will help us in our weakness. He will comfort us when we fall. And then he will lift us up again. Brothers and sisters, we cannot lose. Not when you stay at your father's hand. Our Father who is in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here is the answer of your father. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine, and I have engraved you into the palms of my hand. That's the answer to that prayer. Cry from help. We have a cry for help in the midst of our battle, but it's not a cry of despair. It's a cry of a child knowing that Father is right there. His everlasting arms are ever around us, and he carries us up on eagle's wings. And sometimes, yes, sometimes we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. At times we are perplexed, not in despair. We are even persecuted never forsaken it's possible that we will be struck down but not destroyed and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one this cry from help, for help not of despair a cry not of hopelessness but a cry of trust and it is at the same time as we'll see briefly in our second point by a cry of a certain and a glorious victory For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is the doxology that follows this petition. It is the praise that concludes this prayer. The praise that belongs to our heavenly father. But it is at the same time from us a cry of victory. The victory of God's children because our father wins. Always wins. He wins every battle. He will also win ours. For yours is the kingdom. No, it is not Satan's kingdom. And it is also not the kingdom of the powers of this world. It's not the kingdom of communism. Not the kingdom of capitalism. It is not the kingdom of Muslim terrorism. And not the kingdom of a new world order or a worldwide peace either. Yours, Father, is the kingdom. And therefore, we have the victory. We have the almighty God as king. 
En dat King is our Father. En daarvoor wie mee walk in deze wereld, dit oplift het hart. En we doen nog niet of fear is might. En Jouw Vader is also the power. Het is een matter how powerful our enemies are. Jouw Vader is the source of all power in heaven and on earth. And nothing is impossible for you. Yours is the power. The world is very powerful. The world's powers may believe that they will reign forever. Our enemies may laugh at us, at us those weak, small children of God who by themselves cannot stand for a moment. But they're blind for the fact that when God's children are weak, they are mighty because they come leaning on the power of him who sits in heaven, on the power of him who laughs at all those who feel themselves so strong but will perish. When his wrath is kindled only a little. Yours is the kingdom, Father, and the power, and therefore we cannot lose. And your Father is also the glory. Yes, Father, this world claims a lot of glory and glitter and victory, but it is and remains a broken world. Filled with misery. In this world, everything goes wrong. Everybody and everything dies. And that's because of sin. We have no glory, Father. Only sin. But Father, yours is the glory. For by you there is no sin. By you there is no pain. By you there is no sickness. By you is only glory. Father, the kingdom, the power and the glory, they are yours forever. And therefore, we, your children, are safe. Our battle is won. Our victory is secure. And one day soon we may share in your glory. Brothers and sisters, we do have such a glorious future. It has already begun. We have already received eternal life. The life which would end into a certain death, is already removed from us by our Savior. He died in our place. And soon we may see him in whom we have believed, coming upon the clouds of heaven. Soon we may share in that great glory forever. Already now we may sing that victory song with Psalm 72. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled of his glory. And then it says, Amen and Amen. And that's the last word of our prayer. It means, as our catechism says, it is true and it is certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart and I desire that from him. That's what we confess when we say, Amen. There is no doubt about it. God hears our prayer. Our prayer, as we are taught it by our Savior, will surely be heard. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And he is faithful to all his promises. We say sometimes that the future is unknown. But it actually doesn't count for us. Because we have a father to whom belongs that marvelous kingdom. Which one day will fill heaven and earth. He is the Father to whom belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory. He is the Father who is faithful to all his promises. And therefore, our future does not wait. It is coming. And it is now nearer than yesterday and tomorrow nearer again. And it may be that tomorrow, time, trouble and tears will cease and eternal glory begin. And we may share in the kingdom and the power and the glory. We now already see in our Father. Amen.